What a wonderful, wonderful God we have. We're going to hear a few tributes now uh, from people who knew Arnold, and I guess each one of us who knew Arnold, who are here today, will have known him in different ways. We'll be able to maybe have stood up here and, uh, and say something about what Arnold meant to us, uh, how Arnold has affected our lives. And in fact, there's opportunity for each of us to uh, give that tribute at different, in different ways. Uh, there's a Facebook page which has been set up by Esther, his uh, daughter, Arnold and Mary's daughter, uh, in which there's many tributes already been posted, and that will remain open uh, for a good while yet so that people can post on there. There'll also be some books at the back of the room over here by the welcome area and also downstairs in the coffee area. If you can't get access to Facebook uh, and you would like to write something down uh, in pen, then please do that here today as well. But we're going to hear from seven people uh, right now who have known Arnold at different times uh, over his life and in their lives. And we're going to start um, by welcoming Tom Lee, who uh, was a member, is a member of the church here in Sheffield, has kind of grown up as from a child into the church uh, here in Sheffield. So Tom, would you like to come and just share? Hello. <laughs> Good start. Um, yeah, so as I was saying, uh, I represent um, a generation that's been brought up uh, by Arnold here at City Church. I was uh, 11 years old uh, when Arnold came to Sheffield. Um, I'd like just to share some of my memories of Arnold and how he's impacted me. Uh, I am one of many voices uh, that could stand here to testify uh, about the impact that Arnold's had on their life. Uh, and he's fathered hundreds over the years, um, and I'm, I'm just one of those disciples among many. Um, one of my first memories of Arnold uh, is actually uh, being told off by him. Um, <laughs> I had that a lot when I was 11, and, uh, and normally my response, I think I was messing around during a worship time or something, and normally my response to being told off at that age was to go into a marred, and then hold a grudge for a while uh, and not really respond very well. But uh, what was different about this occasion is that I got a sense that he, he was telling me off because he cared. He cared that I was missing out on worship. He cared that uh, I was missing out on all that, that God wanted to do. First point, I'm already going. This is not a good start. Um, Arnold loved children. And he was passionate about children being involved in church. Uh, he believed that through the preached word, anybody could come to know Jesus. And from that time on, he had my attention. And I really, I didn't always find it easy to listen to him, but I gave myself to listen to him preach. And that's what's fed me over the years. And growing up in the church here, uh, I've been fed very well by Arnold's teaching. Uh, and in school, I always had some little phrase or something that he'd said in a preach that would help me live for God in my uh, day to day. And uh, I was remembering one physics lesson uh, where our teacher, uh, he asked us, he was, well, he was teaching us on the laws of physics. And he, he asked the class, what do you think about the laws of physics? And anyone you know, knows me, I'm, knows that I'm, I'm not exactly uh, an academic. Uh, but uh, Arnold had been preaching on that with God, nothing is impossible that week. And, uh, and, and he said this phrase, he said, the laws, Arnold said this, the laws of physics do not exist because physics is an observation of normal. And that was in my head, so I, I just, <laughs> I just, <laughs> just put my hand up. Well, sir, this is what I think about the laws of physics. Uh, 
I didn't do well in school. Um, but it was good because the teacher was a backslidden Christian and we got to have a chat afterwards, which was great. Um, Arnold put into practice what he preached. Um, there are so many stories uh, of how he you know, did that, um, you know, from dodging fridges that had been thrown at him to smuggling Bibles. There's just loads of stories uh, that he shared with me. But one, uh, one time I saw him putting into action, uh, protecting the flock. And uh, we, we were here on a Sunday morning and this guy came in, uh, kind of a bit strange guy with stranger theology. And after the meeting, uh, me and some of the, the youngsters were sitting at a table and he came to talk to us. Uh, and then uh, we were listening to what he was saying, and we just, where's this guy on? You know, we've been trained by Arnold, so we could see straight through him. And uh, but then Arnold came downstairs to get his coffee uh, and his one drop of milk, and um, and he saw this guy talking to us, and he and he came over to to see what was going on. And as soon as he came over, this guy just kicked off. He was shouting, ranting, raving, um, and uh, Arnold just he just didn't have any of it, and just kicked the guy out. He just, by the scruff of the neck, and he was out. And one <laughs> brilliant memory was, was I saw uh, him, literally, he, he followed this guy all the way down Wilson Road to the bottom, sarcastically clapping him as he was shouting and raving, like, yes, yes, off you go. So he, he practically protected the flock, and that taught me a lot. Um, he was also a great example uh, to me of how to be a, a father and a husband. Uh, and this is one story that, that always sticks with me, is when he was at the airport with Mary once, and... Uh, some guy bumps into Mary's heels with a trolley. Uh, and so, I, I don't know if you remember this one, Mary, but uh, Arnold uh, looked, looked at him and, and, you know, gave him a bit of a look, and then the guy did it again. And uh, and th- this is probably made up by me, but I imagine then Arnold did the eyebrow raise, <laughs> which for most of us, that's it. Enough, we would respond to that. But he, um, he you know, he gave him a look, but then the guy did it again. So this, this, this time he, he gets hold of the trolley. And this is, this is one of my favorite, uh, Arnold sayings is that he said, and I was about to serve notice. And, <laughs> but then he re- remembered that he was actually in India on his way to preach at a Bible camp. It's probably not the best way to start, uh, a trip like that by slamming some guy. So, uh, he refrained from taking him down. But that has, that has really stuck with me as, uh, his love and protection for Mary and his awesome, uh, ability to be a good husband. Um, those are just a few stories that have stuck with me over the years. Uh, alongside all those, I've seen him build a church here with solid foundations. And we here at City Church stand in the good of his faithful, honest, and biblical, spirit-filled leadership. And I just want to share one uh, Bible passage that I think uh, he would want us to go with. And it's uh, Philippians three, thirteen. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do... Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. And I believe that, more than anything, is what he would want to say to us here at City Church, that we are to stand, we're to fight, we're to take hold of all that he's shown us and taught us and move on to that which God's got for us in City Church. Thank you, Tom. Uh, now, Fiona Tipping is also a member here at City Church, and she's going to just come and, uh, and bring something as well. Hi. 
My first real encounter with Arnold's preaching was around the time he first came to Sheffield. He began a series of teaching from Ephesians, which he went through verse by verse, week by week. He started the book by expounding on God's grace towards us. I can categorically say that I had never heard or experienced anything like it before, ever. As Arnold opened up the scripture to us, with such passion, conviction and faith, scales literally fell from my eyes. And a stronghold of legalism that I had been carrying around all my life broke down right there and then. My walk with God was changed forever from that point onwards. Hearing and then knowing the truth about God's lavish, amazing grace proceeded to affect every relationship I had. And suddenly, God's word became alive, active, powerful, relevant, and absolutely fundamental to just about everything from then on. In fact, when reading Terry Virgo's book on grace, a bit later I thought, surely Arnold has taught him all he knows. I must say it was an amazing book. I'll just put that in. (laughs) Sorry, Terry. As Arnold continued to teach us from Ephesians, the lives of people in City Church began to change. Doctrine and truth started to shape the way we lived, made decisions, loved God and each other. While in Ephesians, I remember Arnold teaching on the role of women and thinking, here we go, let's see what Arnold makes of this then. Well, it was challenging, but having spent just one week on women, he then went on to talk to the men. Well, this took no less than three weeks. I have, I have never been so glad and relieved to be a woman. Arnold was no wuss. He was not afraid of hard work and never shied away from manual jobs at home and told the men that if they didn't know how to do a job, then just find someone who did and learn how to do it. Ephesians was just one book that Arnold fed us from. He went on to expound many other life-changing series, laying strong foundations which we as a body can continue to build on. One of those series included a period of time when Arnold shared with us his visions and values. It was clear that he was absolutely gripped with God's plan for his church. And he imparted to us a vivid, radical vision of of church that totally captured our imagination and captivated our hearts. A body united in purpose, built on the word, praying unceasingly and filled with the Holy Spirit. We have been so privileged to be at the receiving end of such godly instruction and insight. Sometimes, after Arnold had finished his preaching, I wanted to jump up from my seat and shout, Wow! Did you get that? Did you hear that? But obviously I didn't because I'm British and I'm from the North and we aren't partial to emotional episodes up here, you know. (laughs) But... I did often approach Arnold after to tell him what a legend he was and how amazing his preach was and how he had just literally opened up the gates of heaven and ushered in a thousand angels singing endless songs of praise and guess what he would say? Mm. (laughs) Thank you. See, 
humble as well. Arnold was passionate about the word, the church and prayer, and man, could he pray. If someone was in need, his response was, let's pray, let's come to God. And we did many times. When my husband Graham had a liver transplant, we were lifted up to God by the prayers of Arnold and the saints through the whole thing. Arnold encouraged us to persevere in prayer, even when it seemed like our prayers were not being answered. Two years ago, a young boy called Daniel in City Church was diagnosed with cancer. Arnold called us to pray, and pray, and pray. And we did unceasingly for two years. In October 2012, our dear Daniel, at the tender age of eight, went to be with the father. We were undoubtedly heartbroken, but because we had been taught so well and shown to look to God and keep our eyes on our eternal purpose, we were hard-pressed, yes, but not crushed. Perplexed, definitely, but not in despair. Arnold did have other loves. His family was one of them, and he was so proud of them. And the other was buses. Well, no one is perfect. He did take a lot of stick about the bus thing, but he did know how to take a joke. In fact, he was blessed with a very dry, witty sense of humour, which served him well up north, and he could definitely give as much as he got. Arnold also had another passion, his wife. You see, you can't talk about Arnold for too long without mentioning his wonderful wife, Mary. They made a dream team, and as the saying goes, behind every great man, there is a great woman. Together they helped both Graham and myself a lot through the years. We have faced some difficult issues which required a good deal of soul searching, but as you all know, Arnold didn't first search his soul. He sought scripture and God. Once we went to see them about something, and I just wanted them to agree with us, but Arnold said, have you thought about what it says here? And I thought, no, and I don't want to. (laughs) And then Mary read the scripture that Arnold had begun and began to put it into context for us. They never said you should do this or you should do that. They gracefully and affectionately led us to God where we found faith rather than fear, hope rather than despair. I am so grateful that Arnold and Mary didn't compromise, bow to popular belief, or waver in unbelief when giving counsel. No shortcuts or palatable easy answers, yet always seasoned with lots of grace. It says in 1 Corinthians 4, 14-15, Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. I think I can speak for many of us at City Church when I say that Arnold was like a father to us. He led us, taught us in word and deed, prayed passionately for us. He carried out his leadership as one answerable to God. And he poured out his life like a drink offering in service to the king whom he worshipped, adored and honoured. Saying all this, he would not want us to put him on a pedestal. And he did once tell me off for doing so. And yes, I got the eyebrow. (laughs) I believe, like Tom just said, he would want us to take hold 
of that for which Christ took hold of us, to keep fighting the good fight of faith and to run with perseverance this race marked out for us here at City Church in such a way as to gain the prize, just like he did right up to his very last breath. Oh, we really will miss Arnold. We love him very much and totally thank God for him. We will grieve accordingly, but we will also look upward and onward, knowing that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Thank you. Thank you, Fiona. Now, before Arnold came to City Church 15 years ago, he was the lead elder at the Vine Odium, where he and Mary lived for many years with their family. And Andy LaRue, who now leads the church at Odium and was with him there, is going to come up and speak. Afternoon, everyone. My story begins in 1968, in the year that I was born, a young Arnold arrived in the rural village of Odium, Hampshire, as pastor of Odium Baptist Church. He arrived fresh-faced, the beard was to come later, out of London Bible College, having been trained not so much by the men in the classroom as by men outside, the great Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, whose feet he sat at each week in Westminster Chapel, and his college roommate, our very own Terry. The doctor ignited a lifelong passion for expository preaching, the gospel, the spirit-filled life. The young apostle introduced him to baptism in the spirit and other radical ideas which were to shape the future. You have a lot to answer for, Terry. At a college leaving do, Arnold read out a poem parodying the prevailing wisdom of the time that ministers should stay balanced, ending something like this with the line, and so with both feet firmly on the ground, we boldly march forward. Arnold arrived in Odium healthily unbalanced, ready to preach and practice God's words, whatever the consequences. One of the things that made him a father was his willingness to lovingly confront and correct people. As he often said, with his tongue firmly embedded in his cheek, I didn't get where I am today by being nice to people. Thus he achieved the distinction that his first little church actually shrank as the diehards tried but failed to oust him from his role and his home. In fact, over his 44 years of leadership, Arnold has fought many battles for us, so often restless at night, wrestling in prayer by day. No one knows this more intimately than Mary, one of the new members of the church whom he married in 1970. Then, 
As always, Mary stood shoulder to shoulder with Arnold through thick and thin. The willing beneficiary of that Churchillian vow that he had made to her, that I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, sweat and tears. Mary, eternity alone will reveal the incredible debt we all owe to you. Thank you. We love you so much. You have prayed with Arnold. You have held his arms up when he prayed. We will pray with you. Indeed, this was another massive value prayer. And at the weekly prayer meetings in Odium Baptist Church, people started getting baptized in the spirit. Personal baptisms led to change in the church. People actually started looking happy at church. Praying out during communion. Worship changed. Out went traditions, harvest and remembrance Sundays, dedications, formalities, legalism. In came grace, friendship. People operating on the basis of gifting. In came faith for miracles, for revival. Up went membership, giving, faith for the new building. In 1980, he was asked by the Basingstoke Gazette how the little church was going to pay the impossible bill for our new building, to which he famously replied, we're trusting God. I'm a Christian pastor. What else am I supposed to do? In Odium and Sheffield, decisions always preceded provision, but provision has always followed the decisions. And so... The firm biblical foundations of the Vine Church were laid, and then the living stones were built in one by one. The children, the teenagers, the adults. In 1990, as I finished at Sheffield University, I prayed for Ephesians 4 ministry to come to Walkley Baptist Church, not knowing who would be the answer to that prayer eight years later, and then returned to Odium, where Arnold, Mary, Esther, and Jonathan opened their home to me as I stayed with them for a year. Esther and Jonathan, you will always be uniquely Arnold's daughter and son, but I want to thank you for sacrificially sharing such a huge part of your dad with myself, with so many of us, wherever Forever grateful. I recall one snowy morning when I was staying with them. Monday, a typical New Frontiers day off. Arnold planned as usual to wash his car. It was a white Ford Sierra with a meaty engine and plenty of extra fairings and a picnic table. (laughs) I feel very sorry for the Sheffield Ford dealers. They've lost a major customer. But on my day off, I wanted to go for a walk and take pictures of the winter scene. I daren't speak to Arnold on his day off. So I asked Mary if I could borrow his wellies. She said yes. I walked along the canal bank. I needed to get an angle. I gingerly walked across the icy canal in his wellies. I bent down to get the perfect picture. Creak. I went through. Me, the camera, the wellies, all into the canal. 
Having scrambled out, I sheepishly returned home, but by now Arnold was unhappy. Where were his car-washing wellies? When I returned, was he concerned about me? The camera? No. All he cared about were his squelching wellies. It was a joke we have rehearsed many, many times. And I always assumed we'd rib each other about it many more times. In fact, I imagined that we would, he would always be here. Not retired, of course, yet always there for me to call or visit for pure distilled wisdom. But God knew better. And so, after 29 years of faithful service in Odium and then 15 years of the same in his beloved Sheffield, Arnold and Mary paid one more valedictory visit together to Odium just 13 weeks ago. It was a memorable and now very poignant weekend. Arnold preached magnificent expository sermons in Odium. They came for dinner and Kate and I waved them farewell. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Arnold, we love you. You, he was irreplaceable. May we, his sons and daughters, honour him, not just with our words, but with our lives. May we play our part in God's great purposes. May we see the revival he longed to see. May we see this building full, not just today, and every building up and down the land. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. I'm going to invite Andrew Davis to come now. Andrew um, had a lot of involvement in the church in Sheffield here while he was living in Manchester and often travelled over, uh, gave us his wisdom and his prophetic insight as well. And he was a good... <laughs> Is that someone else? Uh, he, was a good, he was a good friend of Arnold's, so Andy, come on. Wisdom. Well, you would have got an eyebrow at that one, that is for sure. Take off, flight, landing. Anyone who's ever sat in one of Arnold's preaching classes will have remembered how a sermon was described like an airplane taking off, its flight, and its landing. And uh, many a time it was then followed with these three questions. Was there eye contact? Which was hilarious, because I sat in many of these preaching classes at EFM, leaders training in Northampton, Woking, and even here. And every person who ever preached at his preaching class kept their eyes firmly on one person, and one person alone. They tried hard to look elsewhere, but however hard they tried, their focus was on the said already eyebrows that could put you back on your passage quickly and back where they are. The next question that would be asked was, was there humour? And finally, 
did you hear God? I used to laugh with Arnold saying, one day, maybe, he would be at the preaching class and maybe I might analyse him after his sermon. What I didn't realise was, I would do it of his life. His takeoff. Arnold came from a single-parent family, but yet tells the most incredible stories of God's provision. He told one story that I remember about a bicycle that he had sought God for and it appeared. I always hoped it was God's provision and not just the next door neighbours. But he always used to tell these remarkable stories of God's provision. And that the things he learned there shaped him as an expectation of God throughout his entire life. We stand in this remarkable facility because of Arnold's lessons he learned about God's provision. He lived it out his whole life. His flight, well, it's already been mentioned. His wonderful marriage, his fantastic family. Arnold and Mary were an amazing, wonderful team who has impacted and shaped so many of us. But one of my favorite quotes is a quote that says, a reasonable man changes nothing. An unreasonable man can change the world. Arnold could be an unreasonable man. And boy, he changed things. Arnold was not for turning. There's a famous quote from Margaret Thatcher. This woman isn't for turning. If she had met Arnold, and Arnold was convinced he had heard God, everyone would have turned. Arnold, when he heard God, he would give his whole backing. When he saw something in scripture, it would shape him, mould him, and he would not turn from it. At the same time, I've never known anyone who, when convinced you have heard God, would give his undeserved backing to you, right behind you in everything you've done. I lost many a debate with my dear friend Arnold when it came to the words, interesting, Andrew. Now show me that in the scripture. I left their wonderful home a number of times knowing that I was right, but I had lost the debate because he so knew scripture. In fact, I spent many, many wonderful hours sitting in the front room, that room that you could tell the seasons of the year by where the furniture had been placed. It was just wonderful to sit there and know that you were there enjoying the company of someone who truly knew God. The thing, though, about Arnold was you couldn't pigeonhole him. Many of us have tried at different times, and every time he would surprise you. I remember once him saying, I like cars that look normal but go fast. So I was surprised when he turned up to see Liz and me with Mary in Cardiff in the ultimate sort of go faster striped blue fiesta with spoilers all over the place. Mary with that look of, bless him. (laughs) And that slight embarrassment as Arnold sitting there informing me that it had been specially tuned so it could go even faster. And just when you thought, well, there he is, boy racer Arnold... He would stop the car by the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff, get his camera out. I thought, oh, we've got so much in common, Arnold. The stadium, 
but rather he took a picture of a bendy bus <laughs> going round a corner. Impossible to pigeonhole him. Yet, he was passionate about God, his word, his church, and that deep longing for revival. Arnold and Mary have been the most phenomenal support to Liz and me. And in the years we've gone to Cardiff and had to walk through certain things, it was regular, the phone call from Arnold, to check how I was doing, to inform me that he was praying for me, that kept us going, an incredible encouragement. His landing. His landing is faster than any of us would have wanted or anticipated. Yet it was more like the way he drove <laughs> at speed. And I did find there a certain irony as he was preaching through Romans that right now in heaven he's sitting with his hero, the doctor, debating how would you finish the book of Romans? <laughs> What would you get out of these chapters at the end that neither of us ever got to? But what a welcome there would have been in heaven as he would have entered. So the questions that he would have asked at the end of any sermon class I ask now, was there eye contact? He was passionate to do God's will. He was truly a man of the word and the spirit. He kept his focus on God. At all times. Was there humour? Oh yeah. Cutting at times. <laughs> Dry. But there was humour. And the last. And the question I used to remember fearing. In the preaching classes. Did we hear God? We heard God. Oh I could turn Welsh really now. Boy, did we hear God in his life, in his teaching. My dear ones, we heard God. And as a result of my friendship with Arnold, I am left wanting to see a radical church built in this nation and a deep longing for revival. And it has been such a joy to sit here and see the fruit of his magnificent ministry been shared by those who are here in Sheffield and from Odium. What a life well lived. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Another one of Arnold's good friends. And uh, church leaders here, uh, we're so pleased to be able to welcome Nick Sharp from Nottingham. Uh, Nick was at Arnold's bedside when he died, actually, and was able to comfort Mary and Jonathan and, uh, and Arnold's sister, and we were so grateful for that. But he's been such a good friend, though. Please welcome Nick. I first encountered Arnold um, over 20 years ago uh, when he used to oversee what was then called Equip for Ministry, EFM. I'm sure many of you here went through that particular training process or indeed uh, uh, taught on it. My goodness, I think I've just seen someone who was a, 
a classmate there. I'll catch you afterwards. Arnold to me then, as a, a young man and a new Christian and just joined staff, seemed a, um, a revered but sort of almost professorial uh, figure to me. It was in the days when the course finished with examinations. I can remember to this day uh, Arnold's uh, comment on my a certificate that I received, because somehow or other I did manage to pass, I think more by grace than anything else. And uh, he said this, It is to be hoped that Nick gained more from this course than his exam results indicate. <laughs> it's haunted me ever since. <laughs> but it was, <clears throat> it was after Penny and I moved to Nottingham to plant Grace Church that uh, I really began to get to know Arnold, uh, and the real Arnold, and to get to know him properly. And as often happens uh, with church planting, uh, there's an initial honeymoon phase and then and the sort of halcyon days when everything is wonderful and you actually are in the best church that has ever existed on the planet and everyone else agrees and uh, eventually you hit some challenging times and some difficult times and uh, we went through a few years like that down in Nottingham and it was at that point that Arnold my now relatively near neighbor reached out to me he went out of his way to come and see me and to spend time with me he listened to me encouraged me prayed with me he helped me find strength in God he rigorously defended me against personal attack he gave me advice which undoubtedly strengthened Grace Church. But it wasn't only <clears throat> a one-way relationship. As our friendship grew, I found that actually he was very open and vulnerable with me about the challenges that he faced. It was no longer just the younger man looking to an older mentor asking for advice our relationship became one of mutual encouragement, marked by reality, humor, trust, and love. And that continued to deepen over the years. I visited Arnold in hospital shortly before he died he'd gone in ostensibly to be treated for pneumonia nothing much to worry about we'll pray and he'll soon be out again he was very very poorly but in fighting mood the church here will know how much he longed to see cancer humiliated and defeated, that's true, isn't it? Someone had sent him 
a, a reference in a text to Psalm 71. And typical of Arnold, in the moment of his greatest need and peril, he had just been informed that they were investigating cancerous developments. He said, the consultants are saying this, but the word of God, Nick, and he's there with his oxygen mask and crying, and he said, the word of God, the word of God says this, and he proceeded to give me a Bible study (laughs) right there in the hospital with his oxygen masks, but like Darth Vader gets saved. He said, I must be healed and come out of this because look, look what it says here. And he read to me verse 18, Psalm 71. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. Well, over the next few days, we texted each other to monitor progress. And on the Saturday evening, he sent me this text. Still breathless today, but also encouraged by all the scriptures that people have sent sense that God is about something big. Of course, he meant healing, and that wasn't to be. But I think God was about something big in Arnold. I believe he did proclaim God's might to another generation. Trusted God to the end. When he drew his last breath that Monday, something bigger, much bigger than physical healing happened. Hallelujah. Arnold never persuaded me to go bus spotting with him. And I never managed to persuade him to come fishing with me. But he was my friend. A close and faithful friend. I thank God for the privilege of knowing him. And I'm going to miss him. And his going leaves a gap in my life. By his friendship leaves memories I shall always cherish. Thank you.
Thank you, Nick. As we've heard, Arnold was at London Bible College, and uh, one of the people that he roommates with, I think maybe the only one, I don't know, uh, was a young man called Terry Virgo. And I know that Terry had a huge influence on Arnold's life. Um, and it's fantastic to be able to welcome Terry now, who's going to just come and share with us. It's very wonderful to be in this magnificent building and to hear these uh, wonderful testimonies that speak volumes of a life, uh, a life that drew on the grace of God and experienced his favor in such a substantial way, uh, derived from trusting God, proving God, and proving faithful to God. Uh, it's magnificent to hear stories, uh, as we have, from members of the congregation who say he taught them how to think, how to assess, how to stand, how to walk in life. It's a tremendous heritage to leave, people whose lives have been transformed. I met Arnold in 1965 at London Bible College. That will make him one of the oldest friends of mine within what we now call New Frontiers. We go back many, many decades. He was actually rather a shy young man, but we found much in common in terms of our longing for revival. And uh, in my first year, I lived outside of college, but... We became friends. I had the joy of praying with him, laying hands on him. And then we said, well, why don't we move in? I move into college in the second year. And we, from then on, uh, shared a room for those uh, my second two years at London Bible College. I remember on Sunday afternoons, we would go to a radical new church in London, which impacted our lives greatly in the mornings. And uh, then on Sunday afternoons, we would go to the college chapel, just the two of us, and pray for revival, and then go and uh, hear Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in the evening. Uh, those Sundays were very treasured. And gradually, that Sunday afternoon get-together grew as one and another and another began to find us, until by the time we finished college, it was quite a large prayer meeting crying to God for revival, and people were getting filled with the Spirit. It was a very exciting time to be together. I was so impressed when he wrote a short play, which was presented at college, at the Christmas season, uh, called Mr. Job. And I think I understood the book of Job for the first time. Uh, it was a, a play uh, that he himself had written, uh, based on the book of Job in the Bible and uh, wrote it as a play with people playing the various parts. And I thought, this young man is brilliant uh, to be able to do that. He was full of fun as well. I remember another Christmas that he, together with a, another student called Colin Christmas, uh, wrote a skit called Christmas Bell, uh, <laughs> which they did together. And uh, it was tremendous fun to uh, just catch his wit which I enjoyed for longer than all of you. Uh, hilarious skill to see the funny side. And his dry humor was very, very entertaining and enjoyable. I remember one of his uh, 
stabs of humor was because we lived together effectively for two years uh, when Wendy and I met. I met Wendy at London Bible College as well. He was a very cheeky observer of our developing relationship and, uh, and then said as uh, the wedding drew near and we shared these two years together, he said, where are we going on honeymoon? And uh, <laughs> I'd say to Arnold, Arnold, we are not going anywhere on honeymoon. And then on my driving, as it happens, uh, to Leicester when we got married, my car broke down on the way there, and uh, I had real problem having to be rescued uh, by Wendy's father, who came down, picked me up from a garage where I left the car, and he got us there just in time uh, for the wedding. And then as the reception went on, I realized, well, I got to the wedding, but now where do we go? Because uh, I haven't got a vehicle. And I had to get to uh, the north of North Wales, and uh, the car wasn't going to be ready for two or three days. And Arnold was working with a local church as a student uh, in the neighborhood. And uh, he phoned up someone who had a cottage uh, on a farm which could be used, and he made the arrangements for us. And as we got into his car, and he looked over his shoulder at Wendy and me sitting in the back... <laughs> As I said, where we're going <laughs> on your honeymoon. But one of the things that happened at London Bible College was that in your final year, every student had to take a morning uh, devotion. And I was in the same year as Os Guinness and Peter Lewis, whose final words I don't remember, but I do remember Arnold's. And Arnold spoke from this verse. 29, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Arnold had a tremendous faith in the sovereignty of God, and I remember his speaking for that brief uh, time to the whole student body. And underlining this thing, that the secret things belong to God. There are things that are in God. God is not one that we can, as it were, penetrate, that we can have all the answers about. God has a majesty, an indefinable secret mystery about him. And something of the awesome majesty of God gripped Arnold's life. I remember him speaking of that. The secret things belong to the Lord. Of course, that's so helpful to us even now, things so difficult to understand, things that have happened, sudden departure, many of us would have heard, I know I did, on that morning, please pray for Arnold, it looks more serious than we'd realized, only to get another phone call just a few hours later, he's gone, and to hear the secret things belong to the Lord, and Arnold was very happy with that arrangement, he was very happy to bow to the sovereignty of God. It was something that he taught us. He would have taught this congregation. And it was something that held him secure. The sovereignty of God was such a big teaching in his life and in his heart. And the things that are revealed belong to us. So he wasn't a speculator. He wasn't one 
who was coming interested in latest fads that went through church life. The gospel is a revealed religion. It's for us to receive it, to submit ourselves to it. And the congregation here will have had the benefit of a man who submitted his mind to revealed scripture, to what God has said. He wasn't a speculator. He wasn't wondering. He said, what does the word say? So we've heard working week by week through Ephesians, other books down through the years. It's always submitting himself to this revealed faith. The things that are revealed belong to us and to our children that we might do them. And I remember his concluding his talk by saying, this isn't just knowledge we accumulate. It's not that we uh, just become puffed up with knowledge, but it is that we should do the things that are said. And uh, again, this building, so many things that Arnold did thrilled him that God could be trusted. And so his, his faith for finance was remarkable uh, in Odiham and then here. And uh, it's substantiated bricks and mortar by faith. He produced so much. He, he reproduced faith in those who are close. Sometimes he amazed people with what seemed just almost like childlike faith. Uh, you say, well, why won't you do this, Arnold? Well, because God has said the things that are revealed belong to us. And I remember him saying that as a guy in his early 20s. And so right through a life, he was so true to what he believed. He didn't waver from that safe ground of God really shaping the way that he operated. And not only to us, they belong to us and to our children. We've already heard how proud he was of Jonathan and Esther, serving God, loving the Lord, loving his word, serving in the churches in which God's placed them. But it was thrilling for me after some years, having left London Bible College, we went our separate ways. We would be in touch. Uh, uh, I was in a small place. He was in a small place in Odham. We were in Seaford. We would be in touch. And gradually, as New Frontiers grew and grew, he came into our world and then the children that he passed on his message to was not just in the family but through EFM he became a teacher of many and it's been so thrilling even in these last few days speaking to several of you and others who are not present here today who said to me it was Arnold who laid in my heart a confidence in scripture It was Arnold who made me rethink. It was Arnold who shaped my theology. And some of our very senior guys in New Frontiers would say it was Arnold Bell who settled me in the scripture, who made me think biblically, who challenged the way I thought. And so the secret things, yes, they belong to the Lord. We can't understand everything, but it's safe there. That's what Arnold would communicate The secret things belong to the Lord. We don't try to work everything out. We humble ourselves before that truth. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children that we might do them.
Thank you, Terry. And finally, it's great to be able to welcome Arnold's son, Jonathan, to come. Let's give him a Already before saying anything else, I just want to thank all of you, um, first of all, for being here today, but not just today, over the last few weeks, I think it's fair to say that as a family, we've been blown away by uh, your incredible love and support and care, um, just all the cards and tributes on Facebook and the flowers that have been sent. Uh, I've never been sent flowers before. I mean, very exciting. Uh, at, from the family, we're just so incredibly appreciative to be part of this family. One of the things that has particularly struck me as I've been reading through uh, literally hundreds, potentially thousands of tributes over the last few days has been how many people have described my dad as their spiritual father. And uh, even over the last hour or so, that's come through repeatedly. And... I just want to say, um, put on record how much I feel privileged uh, to have actually been his son. And I just want to share some reflections that I've got um, as Arnold's son. People have often commented over the years how similar we are. I don't quite see it myself, but it, it, it wasn't like he ever forced me to conform into the mould of Arnold. I think my dad always secretly hoped I would want to be like him, but out of a sense of respect and desire rather than being forced into it. So it must have been a source of incredible pain and distress to him over the years to see, first of all, our annual pilgrimage to Upton Park never quite succeeded in convincing me to support West Ham. And that Despite my entire childhood seemingly being spent trying to track down one further elusive bus, I still couldn't tell you to today the difference between a duple-bodied Bedford and a Bristol RE. Uh, And that how many rain-sodden summer holidays we spent in Wales, I still can't grasp the attraction. Um, People say we're similar, yet so incredibly different. But those failures aside, it was hard not to want to emulate his phenomenal faith and his determined passion and courage for serving God. And so much of who I am today is down to what he modelled as I was growing up. Often you find people in the uh, public world are very different when you dig beneath the surface and see what they're like in their home and in private. But not so my dad. What you saw in public was what you got at home. He was a man full of integrity. He was consistent through and through. So from the age, he communicated to me something of a deep love for the church. And again, some of these themes have come out already. It was very much there in public, but also very much there in the home. I learned from him how to pray. I learned from him how to preach. Showed me how to have faith in finances. Lost count of the number of times, again, not just in the public sphere, but at home, where 
he taught us as a family to give what we couldn't afford and invariably we would watch and see again and again and again God's miraculous provision for us. And perhaps more than anything else, I imbibed from him a love for the Bible. It was particularly irritating at times and again it's been commented on by others but the answer to pretty much every question was always what does the bible say about that and you'd try to get him to actually say what he thought is always what does the bible say about that i know some people thought him stubborn awkward even but he was a man of deep belief a man of deep conviction i respect the fact that he just wouldn't budge unless he was convinced to do so biblically. So much that I'll miss about him. His humour, his bopping of the grandchildren on the nose, his excitement at showing me his latest car that was just another version of the car he had before. (laughs) And, And just being able to pick up the phone and ask for advice, although in doing so, invariably, I kind of knew what he was going to say before he said it. Poignancy wasn't lost on me that three days before he died, I spent a day teaching a room full of leaders in this very building on the subject, finishing well. He was a man who ran a great race and finished exceptionally well. But, as has been said already, he wouldn't have wanted to be put on a pedestal. He'd have been distinctly uncomfortable with the thought of being hero-worshipped. He'd have been at pains to point out that, ultimately, all that was good, possibly even great in him, is a mere shadow of what God's like. And so, as we mourn the loss of a father and a husband and a friend we look to the God who is the perfect father and the perfect husband and the perfect friend. Just before that, I bring a short word from Scripture. We're just going to stand and we're just going to sing another song in worship of God. I think Jonathan has pointed us in that direction and uh, it'd be great to just stand and respond and worship God. There's many a time in the last year when uh, I've been leading worship at prayer meetings downstairs and uh, Arnold would stand right in front of me and he was struggling with um, the chemotherapy and going through treatment for a cancer that was found uh, in his salivary gland earlier in the year. And I would be leading worship and singing that song. And Arnold would be standing in front of me just praising God and singing it out. And often I would just lose it as I was leading. Because <laughs> I would just think, what a testimony to a man who trusts in God. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11, which starts, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And I believe that Arnold would have been commended by God for such faith too. 
although he never really seemed to take it as a compliment when I called him ancient. <laughs> Arnold was sure of what he was hoping for. And though he didn't yet see it, he was certain of God. He had come to know God's love and forgiveness personally in his life, and he'd caught hold of a vision for the future from God, a vision for the world, for the city, and for the church. And ultimately, he had a sure and certain hope for an eternal destiny with his Lord and Savior. And he held on to that vision, which he saw throughout the word of God. And like those in what's become known as the Hall of Faith of Hebrews 11, he lived his life in accordance with what he believed, as we've heard. And he refused to be swayed. Living by faith isn't just a leap in the dark. It's not hoping for the best, hoping that things will work out okay. Faith is based on what we know to be true, even though we don't yet see it. Verse 6 of Hebrews 11 says, And without faith it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith is based on belief that God exists, and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Arnold was convinced of these things. Through proving God personally in his life, and through what he read in scriptures, which is consistent and stands up to scrutiny, despite what many in the world who don't take time to really look into it assert. And because of that, he took confident action as he lived out a life of faith in God. The writer to the Hebrews gives many examples of people who've lived by faith, but this afternoon we only have time to look at one, Abraham. We read in verse 8, Abraham, by faith, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. God came to Abraham, an ordinary man living in a dysfunctional family, and he spoke to him, giving him promises for the future, a land and descendants through whom, whom the whole world would be blessed. And that man believed God, and he acted. Arnold and Mary also heard God and acted. They moved to Sheffield 15 years ago when God spoke to them. Arnold had been leading the church in Odium for over a quarter of a century. But God spoke and within two months he was up here in a very volatile and difficult situation. Leading a fragile church damaged by years of previous legalistic leadership and actually facing a lot of opposition as well. Arnold didn't move here because this was a vibrant city of culture, full of excitement and a good quality of life. He moved because God spoke. In fact, there were some reasons why it would have been the last place he and Mary would have chosen to come to. But God has spoken, and so they acted. It was reason enough. They knew that God was trustworthy and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Verse 9 says, By faith Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He was a stranger in a foreign country. He didn't go and live in the Canaanite houses and cities, which were already established. But he lived in tents, because he was looking forward to that city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Abraham could have easily slipped in to the culture around him, could have tried to fit in, 
And we will know of those temptations too, those of us who know God and are living in a, a foreign world, foreign to many of the uh, beliefs that we hold uh, ourselves. But he didn't. He knew that God had something far greater for him, and he was waiting for that and trusting in it. And Arnold too was carrying a greater vision, a vision of what God's kingdom coming in revival power would be like, a vision of a glorious church. And so, as well as not conforming to the pattern of the world, he didn't just live and operate within traditional church structures. Alongside many others, some here today, he left the established church because he'd caught a vision of what a church, based on what he saw in the New Testament, could be like, and he believed would be like. A church based on and believing the Bible and moving in the power of the Spirit. A body of people equal under God, all operating in their different gifts given by the Holy Spirit to build each other up, devoting themselves to each other, loving each other, and devoting themselves and loving the preached word and prayer. A church led by the Spirit, not just doing things because it was the traditional way to do it. And having caught that vision, he was passionate to communicate and pass it on to others, as we've heard, through EFM and latterly leadership training, and in many other ways, he challenged church leaders to be biblical, not just cultural and pragmatic in their approach to church life. My own perceptions and assumptions were challenged many times by him, and I I also love sitting and, and, and seeing him cause other church leaders to stop and think about the things that they did, just because that was the way it was done everywhere else. Unled the churches in Odium and in Sheffield that way too, communicating this vision and wholehearted passion for God through his teaching and preaching. There are many examples, and we've heard about them this morning, this afternoon, but just to touch on one again. The church in Odium and latterly here in Sheffield had no Sunday kids work because Arnold saw in scripture that children were fully part of God's people together and could be powerfully impacted by the preached word. He believed it. He didn't waver from it. People challenged him. Some people even said to us, you're the church that doesn't believe in kids. But Arnold led us into this because he had a greater faith than most for what God could do in the lives of young children. I could say much about it, but I don't have time and we've already heard from Tom. And perhaps the best thing to do is to read the testimonies and tributes from those who are children still and young teenagers here in Sheffield, many of whom have posted on the tribute page on Facebook saying how much they learned from Arnold's preaching. In verse 11, it says, By faith Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was unable to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Abraham was enabled to become a father despite his and Sarah's age because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. God was faithful. And God has always worked in miraculous ways, which we see through Scripture. And Arnold saw through Scripture. And he believed in a God of miracles. And he frequently saw them in his own life and in the life of the church. As we've heard, in matters of faith for finance, he proved God time and time again. This very building is a testimony to God's faithfulness. As Arnold led us in buying and renovating it over more than a year. And God provided us with this million-pound building leaving us with no debts when the church hadn't even got enough money when Arnold came to pay his salary. 
And we went for this building straight away as soon as Arnold came up. Arnold considered him faithful who made the promise. He followed Abraham's example in not just looking at what was feasible or obvious. And he focused instead on God and what he was saying. And he encouraged the church in that too. And because the church was damaged, he didn't want to put any pressure at all on the church to give. So there were no gift days, no exhortations for us to give. He just led us in praying to the God who owns all things. And we saw the money miraculously come in. And verse 13 says, All these people, Abraham, Sarah, were living, still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Abraham was living by faith when he died. He didn't receive all that was promised. He welcomed it from a distance. God's plan was far bigger than was ever going to be worked out in Abraham's lifetime. But Abraham kept on to the end because he was longing for a better country, a heavenly one. The true object of Abraham's faith wasn't a son or the land. It was God himself. And that was also true of Arnold. Yes, he was a man who loved the word, but only because the word led him to God. And yes, he loved the church, but only because it's the bride of Christ. And he loved Christ. Everything he taught had the love and worship of God as its object and goal. Often going through Romans on leadership training, we would stop and worship because we'd once again caught sight of how wonderful and glorious and praiseworthy God is. Like Abraham, Arnold was still living by faith when he died, and he didn't feel he'd finished the work. He hated people suggesting that he retire because what he was living for wasn't a job. How can you retire from a calling? He hadn't seen the fulfillment of all he was living for, so he was pressing on. But like Abraham, he didn't receive all the things promised. And that doesn't mean they won't happen. God's promises to Abraham have been, are being, and will be fulfilled. And that is the same for the things that Arnold was believing for. Shortly after the completion of Disney World, someone said to Mike Vance, the director of Disney Studios, isn't it too bad that Walt Disney didn't live to see this? Vance replied, he did see it. That's why it's here. What Arnold was living for will come about. Not because Arnold was running with a vision of his own. He wasn't. He was carrying God's vision. And God is faithful and he is able and willing to bring it about. Arnold was never one for us having a vision statement written down. We never had one as a church. He had a vision living in his heart. And he lived it out through his life. And communicated it through his preaching and teaching. So that now it lives in the hearts of many. He saw the future. And he loved the prophetic being released to communicate that future vision to the church. He loved songs like, there must be more than this. And you're the God of this city. Greater things are yet to come. Because it reflected the cry of his heart, which reflects God's own heart. Arnold saw in scripture and prophetically He lived for, he prayed for, he believed for a radical church, a praying church, 
A church full of people who love the word of God and know God through it in their lives. A church who walk with God, believing him. A unified church. A church made up of every type of person living in the city. A holy people. A group of ordinary people filled with the Holy Spirit doing extraordinary things. Because that is God's power in them and what he wants to do. These in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11 were ordinary people. Abraham and others weren't anything special. They messed things up big time. Just read about them in the Old Testament. And so too was Arnold, an ordinary bloke from a broken home in the east end of London. He had his flaws too, not just his obsession with buses. But these are known as heroes of the faith because they worked with God in his extraordinary work. And they received God's well done. He wasn't ashamed to be called their God. And he has prepared a city for them, a reward. The same is true of Arnold Bell. And now we are encouraged to follow in the same manner. Ordinary people believing in an extraordinary God. And living our lives accordingly. The writer to the Hebrews urges it in chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and there's one more now, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. God continues to work in our lives here, whether we are heading up apostolic spheres, leading churches, or members of our local church. We are all ordinary people who have the privilege of walking with the awesome creator, God, and seeing his miraculous work in our lives and in the life of the church, if we believe that God exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I'll finish by quoting what someone from City Church, an ordinary person, put on our Facebook site a few days after Arnold died. She said this. An unexpected outcome of this week for me has been a fresh and strong determination and desire to get hold of all that Arnold taught us about so passionately and to set my face to seek the Lord Talking to other people, I know I'm not the only one. I remember on more than one occasion, Arnold asking as he gave his message, what would the church be like if, if we really got hold of grace, if we really got hold of the power available to us and what it means that Jesus is Lord, if we really understood the love of God? And she says, I really want to find out what that would look like too. And you know what? By God's grace, we can. And I believe we will. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you. We thank you together here for the lives of an extraordinary man of faith. But Lord, we thank you most of all. He pointed us to an extraordinary God to a wonderful God. Lord, as he opened up the scriptures to us, as he taught us, 
he reveals more of you, more of your character, more of your love, more of your grace, more of your passion for the church. Oh, Lord, he revealed you to us. And, Lord, I want to pray now that we will take hold of those words in Hebrews 12. I pray we will run the race set out before us. I pray we will give ourselves completely to you. I pray we will believe your words, believe you, trust you in the way that Arnold modeled and taught. Because you are the same God. And you are a God who is about great things. And you will bring things about. And we pray for revival to sweep through this nation and the earth. And we look forward to that day that is coming when Jesus, you return. And all things will be caught up in you. And Lord, with that hope before us, we say we put our hand to what you have called us to. To love you, to worship you, to serve you in the church for all our days until the day you take us. We worship you. We praise you, almighty God. Amen. Amen. Let's stand finally and let's worship again the Lord our God.